Glenn Graham with Adam Curry, September 20th, 2019. And if there's a person who knows all about everyday people, it's my guest today, Alan Graham, who's the founder and chief executive officer of Mobile Loaves and Fishes in uh, Austin, Texas. And uh, the first guest in the studio here. Awesome. <laughs> and it's got the new car smell, Adam. It totally it, uh, has that car smell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You like my faux leather seats? No, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> Naugahyde. <Yeah. laughs> um, Alan, you were so gracious a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I visited uh, Community First Village, and you took you know a, a lot of time out of your day to take me around, explain what you were doing. And I've been talking uh, about the homeless situation in Austin. I've been here nine years, so I've seen it really grow. I see what's uh, what's been happening and what uh, what actions are being taken or not taking taken. And I kept hearing about ah, oh, mobilos and fishes. You should talk to these guys. You know, something going on there. And finally, uh, some some of my listeners actually uh, connected us. And I was so blown away by what is happening in in the community first village. And it's almost I almost don't know where to start. Other than uh, perhaps you can give us just a little background of what it is today, and then I, I love your philosophy on uh, on why you're doing this, etc. Yeah, so basically, uh, you stepped on to what is becoming a 51 acre master plan community that is designed to lift uh, the most chronically homeless, the most despised, outcast, lost, and forgotten of our community, the men and women that you see standing under our bridges. Uh, on our street corners, in the shelters, in the urban camps, people that are battling uh, tremendous addiction issues, mental health issues, uh, physical health issues. This is the population that we uh, care the most uh, about. And walking around, you have what about, is it 200 residents you have now? More yeah, well, about 235 residents mm-hmm. uh, on the on the property, probably going to uh, pushing the 600 number with this phase that we're opening right now Uh, it was incredible because you walk around and uh, everyone's saying hi and everyone's neighborly and uh yet these people you know they're the exact same people who are now we find camping uh just put into a different situation and their lives change and flourish it's it's fantastic yeah no it's a it's a kind of an incredible experiment that we're in because when people look at this under our bridges uh they see in their mind an intractable situation and this community first village and this fundamental philosophy that we're laying out for people is to show people that this is far from intractable, but we got to do the right stuff in order to make a difference in our city. So it's not that complicated. Well, and that's the thing because we have, you know, town halls and people are angry and yelling and, and the only thing you kind of hear is we need to build affordable housing. And that is exact. That is, uh, it's not at all how the uh, Community First Village came about. You have very different thinking about why people are homeless, uh, what they really need. And it's perpendicular almost to what uh, not just Austin, but many cities around uh, the country are doing. Well, we uh, kind of internally and uh, euphemistically call all that conversation collaboration <laughs> right on and um uh it's just people coming in and talking 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 and going away and virtually uh doing nothing that's why we don't participate in those because what we want to do is um uh, uh keep doing what it is that we do that's making a difference 
But I think there's a fundamental problem in this whole deal, and and that is why are people on those street corners? Yeah, I'll be 64 here in December, so uh, I've I've had a great life. Um, and what we're seeing spewing out onto our street corners in the past uh, decade to 20 years in that kind of time frame has never existed in our society at the scale that it exists now. And can we point to things like affordable housing or mental health issues or drug addiction as the causal factors? And I say the answer is no. We believe very profoundly that the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound, catastrophic loss of family. Because I'm going to tell you, uh, almost without exception, every listener on this podcast has somebody in their family or near their family that battles a behavioral health issue, that battles an addiction issue. And somehow we as family, no matter how dysfunctional it is, provide that uh, even if it's a broken safety net to keep our, our family members or close friends up off the streets. But in the six one hundredths of 1% of the Austin metropolitan area that you found find on our street corners, uh, profound catastrophic loss of family. And how did you discover this i mean of course we'll get to the founding of the of mobile oaves and fishes but i mean did this did you just recognize this did you talk to people yeah and so uh when the organization was founded in 98 uh, built on a model of these catering trucks going out on the streets and feeding the homeless uh one of the components of that catering truck is that those that are serving and those being served are on the same side of the serving counter which we required a one-on-one human-to-human, heart-to-heart relationship, mm-hmm. as opposed to the food unit going through the window right? while people are in line to pick up the food unit. So that, that by itself is a very critical difference in, the, in, in services in general for yeah, the homeless. It wasn't designed that way. We just were doing it with that truck, but that's what it turned out mm-hmm. uh, to be. And so as I built relationships uh, with people, um, I then found myself wanting to go deeper. So in May of 2003, uh, led by me, I took about 15 people out on the streets and we spent three nights on the streets of Austin. I have now probably been out on those streets, 250 nights, Mm -hmm. uh, sleeping in all the places, the shelters, the everything. Wow. And, um, and have shepherded, uh, and our organization has shepherded probably 2,000 plus people on those street retreats. So the intimacy of which we have developed relationships uh, with these men and women is unparalleled to anybody or any organization I've ever seen. And when you're building relationships and they're, um, they're true relationships with people, uh, people's vulnerabilities begin to, and, you know, our friends that are on the street seem to be very uh, willing to share. Uh, where Mm -hmm. they come from. And I began to just recognize that a common theme was, man, they came uh, from a pretty shitty family background. And some of them so unbelievable that it's hard for you and I to fathom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Daddies having sex with their little daughters at 10, 11, 12 years old, brothers and uncles and uh, fathers prostituting their sons. It's stuff no one wants to talk or think about, of course. That's right. And we want to talk about it. We want to expose all that stuff um, because I don't care what kind of therapy or what kind of pill you're taking. When stuff like that is in your brain, you can't get it out. Yeah. And, um, 
And the way that you attempt to get it out is by uh, self-medicating with the street drugs, whether it's crack, heroin, meth, uh, the alcohol, alcohol, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever it is. And um, um, and so and then, you know, I begin to explore that and what it is that's important to you and I as a human being, because. I would buy into the fact many years ago that housing was the problem. We just mm-hmm. need to take a human and put him in a house, put him in a house. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that in this nice neighborhood that I'm sitting in right now, we have homeless people that are occupying these houses That's right. because they're alone mm-hmm. inside these houses because you, there's two fundamental qualities about you and I as human people. One, we each desire to be fully and wholly loved. Pretty simple, mm-hmm. not complicated. When that uh, when there's a collision there, uh, we end up being depressed. Uh, secondly, we desire to be fully and wholly known. We desire to be valued for who we are. Well, when we push people to the furthest fringes of society and then don't provide them with running water, running sewer, and trash collection, all the things that we, hey, how come they can't pick up their trash? You make such a good point. I think words matter so much. There are people who are on the streets who are unhoused you don't have a house but a home is something very different in fact i would argue that a lot of people have a home on the street in those communities i'm not saying it's a healthy home and not a healthy community but that's where the drugs are so that's where you know they can connect but it's you said there are people here in houses who are homeless it's so right because it's a loss of community and family well in order to have accomplished what we have accomplished out there millions of dollars of investment Mm -hmm. in this deal all privately funded, we have to have relationships with some very resourced uh, friends of ours. And some of these resourced friends are inside homes that for the average human being, it's hard to fathom uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million homes, mm. architecturally, you know, magnificent. And you go inside and, you, and it's lonely. <laughs> Yes. And they're homeless so in this right. deal. Then you contrast so right. that to going under the bridge that smells like urine, feces, crack cocaine, and body odor. And you see this tight-knit little community working to survive uh, as, as a community. Yeah. And so how do you – and so if you separate people out of their community and stuff them into a house somewhere – man or a bunk bed literally uh, or well that's even worse yeah like the arch yeah that's right yeah. and um and so uh, what we tried to do and and have done is built a model that moves the community from the streets into the community so just going back to you know your first uh, decision to say okay i want to find out what's going on i'm going to go st- stay out uh, at night in the streets of austin you were successful uh, entrepreneur real estate developer you did a lot with cargo at the airport what were you thinking? Um, well, by that time, 2003, which was nearly five years into the truck operation having been launched. Uh, which you were uh, one of the original founders of that as well? Yeah, really the original founder. <laughs> and then I, I brought some buddies on. Right. Uh, uh, with the six-pack, I think. The, the six-pack, right. yeah. And that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was earned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I believe. And warranted. Uh-huh. Um, and... Um, you know, I got, I just got enamored. Look, I had a kind of a spiritual thing that happened to me in 1996, mm-hmm. uh, where I really developed a pretty deep relationship with Jesus, moved from an intellectual thing to a, a spiritual thing. And, you know, God, what do you want me to do? And you know, there was no intent to move out of that 
entrepreneurial lifestyle into the serving the homeless. I just wanted to do something that was, that was good. Um, and what ended up happening, I just got enamored with this and lost this desire to go out and make a ton of money, uh, and do what I was doing. And, um, and through a series of events over that, uh, uh, five year period of time, uh, I, I had mentally checked out of that real estate deal. Right. And all I wanted to do was be in this deal, uh, full time. And, um, and I had to drag a, a family, uh, you know, that was living fairly large into a place where we weren't living as large mm-hmm. and, uh, and struggling, frankly, for a long uh, period of time. So you really, you gave it all up. You did, you just left, or let's just say, just left it behind. You transitioned to something new and whatever was the past of the past. Yeah. We sold, uh, we sold all of our interests and all that stuff, had enough money to live for, uh, a, a few years mm-hmm. without, uh, much in the way of income. And then, uh, that ran out and, we were living on not much in the way of income, and uh, and and you live in the village. You have I, you, I, I do now. You yes, I mean your beautiful home, and you know it's and the, and I should mention these are predominantly tiny homes. Oh yeah, three hundred. I mean we we live in probably the largest home mm-hmm. uh, out there. Uh, there's one other that's just a little bit larger than ours, but it's three hundred ninety nine square feet. Yeah. So um, <laughs> and it, it's awesome. I was, uh, I was telling my wife, I'm so embarrassed to have him over. I feel like a heel now. <laughs> no, 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 no judgment there at all. Uh, but but it's been phenomenal for my wife and I. I mean, uh, Sunday we'll celebrate 35 years. Oh, so, bless you. congratulations! Uh, Very nice. Um, and you know, looking forward to that trip to Amsterdam. Oh yes, all eating right. that rice table. Yeah, so, I've, uh, I've got a list of other things for you to do. As yeah. Well. Um, when uh, when you were taking me around. Uh, and I love your, I'll just call it your pitch, because I think that's what it is when you take people around. I mean, you're, you're, you're still a business guy. You still know how to run things and how to get things done. I call myself, by the way, the P.T. Barnum for oh. the homeless. Yeah. So <laughs> just top hat. Man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, you made reference to um, a book, Chasing the Scream by Johan Hari, I believe. Yes. And uh, which I had not read. I had read his, uh, his, the successor to that, which I think is Connections. And there was something specific in that book that you told me about that really shows the model of this community first. Well, uh, a lot of times we focus on addiction in the book, Chasing the Screen, subtitled something like uh, The Beginning and the End of the 100-Year War on Drugs. And uh, I don't think there's anybody out there in this audience anywhere that thinks that the war on drugs has done anything in the united states no, it's just enhanced it it's, it's just obvious. yeah and so uh and look i'm principally conservative but uh it's a it's a completely failed deal but uh in this book um uh, it, it talks about the opposite of addiction is not sobriety the opposite of addiction is connection and it's built on top of this research that was done in the 1970s by a brilliant uh psychologist bruce armstrong out of i believe the university of toronto and uh, because the historical research that was fueling the war on drugs were these rats going into these rat cages and the rats would have an option of drinking cocaine or opiate laced water or fresh water. And over the course of about 60 days, the rat would increase its drug consumption to in excess of 25 milligrams per day and invariably died and <laughs> no uh, can survive that yeah yeah and then so this guy and his colleagues at the university of toronto in the 70s built a rat park where there were rat tunnels to play in rat trails rat balls um rat friends rats to have sex with rat babies same water 
uh, deal. The maximum drug consumption in rat park never exceeded five milligrams a day. Now, was that across the board? Were all rats participating in the cocaine? Yeah. Well, no, I don't. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but what uh, does that say about society? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was probably just a, a few going yeah. home and, um, and doing what we all do, a glass of wine Something, or, yeah. you know, whatever. And but it's right, but the point is the community. Nobody died in Rat Park. Community, it yeah. was community, mm-hmm. and and so you know, in essence, uh, we have a similar uh, human experiment. We know in our community, and and this is above anecdotal, but not uh, peer reviewed yet, uh, but statistically valid, uh, that our neighbors uh, have uh, decreased their drug use from the streets to the village by about eighty percent alcohol use by about 60 percent that that still doesn't mean there's not problems in the context of that so so they so even though there may be addiction at play the self-medication necessity goes way down drops and so uh, the harm is reduced tremendously yeah uh uh, to the individual and and to the system as a whole because when you're a heavy drug user super heavy and super alcohol user uh there's collateral damage to that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just the bottom line. It's, of course. Uh, and so um, and so, we buy into that harm uh, reduction model. So it's been, it's, it continues to be a kind of a grand experiment. And we're hopeful that at some point in time, and we think that's about to happen, somebody will unleash what's called an, you know, a multi-year IRB uh uh, peer-reviewed study that's looking at all kinds of things that include mm-hmm. uh, uh, drug and alcohol use, but health and exercise. And you got to wonder if there's actually any motivation for it. I mean, it is so frustrating when I hear this and what I've seen you do. Um, there's not even homeless people at the town hall meetings, let alone that any one of the council members has actually gone out there and stayed a night with anybody you know so they they would probably learn so much more well one of our big complaints and uh i was quoted in an article several years ago in the statesman uh having said that uh you know this this whole system is designed by intellectuals sitting around a conference room table making decisions on other human beings mm-hmm. uh part and uh, i got uh I got filleted uh, when that article came out. Right. And, um, of course, then people begin to learn that I'm a truth teller. Yeah. And so. Uh, well, that's how it always goes. First, they shun you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then not really all I want you to do is to marinate and think about it. Mm-hmm. And so what we did in, in our focus group, so to speak, is go spend the night on the streets with them yeah. and hang with them. I've sat in circles while they're smoking crack and K2 and shooting heroin. I've been under a bridge where I witnessed a woman who couldn't find a vein to inject her dope into mm. until she did it into her carotid artery in her neck. It's, you know, and I think you have to have these life experiences in order to understand the level of trauma that these men and women are going through to even understand what it is that they remotely uh, need. And, but all we want to do is build housing. So it's a, that's a very transactional approach. And this requires so a deeply so relational approach and, and relationships are hard, bro. Well, and you're, you're so spot on because what I see, not just in Austin, but, and this is a conversation going on everywhere and I follow it. People want to solve it. 
they have compassion. They don't want to actually stick their hands out of their sleeves and go do something themselves. You can't just sign a check and make these things go away. No, no. And that's, uh, that's fundamentally the model of community first. It, it, it is saying that the broader context of community, Austin, Texas, if you want to mitigate, we don't even use the word solve. It's not even in the language mm-hmm. of mobilos and fishes. It's how do we mitigate this? Because you can't solve this. And if you're working on a theory of a solution, uh, you're missing uh, the boat. Right. And we can talk about palliative relief in a second if you want. But, uh, um, I mean, this is, to us, um, this is the magic bullet really is being in relationship with men and women and having the entire city involved in that deal and coming to understand in a very different way who these men and women are. And that's why our vision statement at mobile loaves and fishes, the thing, the why we exist, the why is always the the big question. The big question Mm -hmm. is that we empower communities into a lifestyle of service with the homeless. We don't feed people. We don't house people. We don't train them. We leverage those things as conduits to connect human to human, heart to heart. But at the core of who we are, it's all about empowering people into this. You came out here. My job is to empower you with your gifts into a lifestyle of service with the homeless. So now you came out to the village. However, that connection uh, came in. Now I'm sitting inside this studio. Mm. Uh, you have an invite to come to my house so my yes. wife and I can meet you and your wife. Yes. And I've been told Sorry by my, uh, yeah, yes. that you have to respond to our, that. Our people are uh, communicating. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, and now, you know, look at the voice that's here. And so yeah. how do I, you know, how do I build a relationship uh, with Adam that uh, connects you mm-hmm. to these people. It doesn't mean that you have to go spend the night on the streets itself, but the more you learn and understand about this, the more that it can be evangelized uh, through this device. That I'm- and what, what people, you know, so when you go to the village and, you know, you, I, I think maybe I was a little, of course I was biased. I was like, I really didn't know what to expect. You think, well, if you have these people here and they still have drug issues and alcohol issues and other issues, um, do you have, you know, you have security or what and it was like no it's the whole community i mean i wanted to want to use the word policing because that's not the right word what is it what is this what is what is happening there that makes it work and so and of course there's always crap going on i'm sure but peaceful and harmonious well um when you contrast what we're doing here to our the subdivisions that we now live in for the most part what we uh, euphemistically call the hermetically sealed single family sarcophagus <laughs> that, uh, you know, with the eight foot tall privacy fences in the backyard, and the swimming pool, sport courts and barbecue pits, the electric garage door openers. We, we have isolated ourselves from from our neighbors, from our neighbors yeah. in the village where people are living on average in, say, 200 250 square feet you have to come out of your crib yeah and you it 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 is a it is a beautifully yet forced movement into community and so we know everybody in that community and everybody knows everybody's business there are no secrets in that deal where we can have all the secrets in the world here Mm -hmm. i mean i just in the past two weeks I've had 
one of my uh, friends commit suicide. And then I had a great friend of mine's 25, 26 year old son commit suicide. Mm. And, and everybody's going, we had no idea. What do you mean? How could you not? How know? could you yeah. not have an idea about these things? But in our community, I know when you're smoking crack. I know when you're not smoking crack. And so, and when you are, it'll, it gives me the open opportunity to walk up to you and say, Hey, Adam, bro, love you, man. Stop smoking that crack. Well, uh, (laughs) look, but but what I would actually say to you is, Hey, no judgment. Mm -hmm. And I know you want out of that uh, bondage. Let me know because we have the ability to help you get out of that bondage. And, uh, and as a result, people see that you see. And so, they're aware that they they know that they're being seen as a human they're being seen as a human and then there's then there's connection with inside uh, the village so it 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 just reduces that thing Uh, how does how does recruitment go how do you get people in what are the uh, requirements uh you know, just if you can take me through the process. Yeah. So the process basically begins with a definition of a chronically homeless and this is extraordinarily important uh, because um, uh, if you really want to mitigate what we see on our street corners, you really got to drill it and focus in on what is on our street corners. And for us, that is an unaccompanied male or female. Mm-hmm. So no children with a disabling condition. And that disabling condition can be physical, mental, or addiction. Having lived on the streets of Austin for at least uh, one year. Mm-hmm. And that, particular rule is to counter the urban myth that people are going to move from Minneapolis to Austin. Right. Right. right hoping right. that they're going to get a home. They're busting them to us. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Which, which is an urban myth. Uh, is it really now there's no busing between cities? N- no. And what, what will happen is maybe it happened once and then they make it sound like, uh, that it's well, you listen to Gavin Newsom in California. He says Texas is busing the homeless to California. No, that's uh, yeah, he's got no, yeah. I mean, that's there's that that's like an anecdotal urban myth, right? And I can promise you that none of my friends want to get on a bus and go to California and live on the streets in California. <laughs> Their communities here, mm-hmm. they're just like you and I, we get settled. Even if you're living under the bridge, you're still in Austin. You're still in Austin. If mm-hmm. you go and try to go to L.A. and live in that mess uh, and you have no community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll be back on that bus, you know, right. fast. So there, there's no coordinated effort by any government or police or anything like that to put people on. the. But let me tell you what we do. If you call me up, Adam Curry, and you, you're living on the streets and you go, would you mind buying me a bus ticket? I'd like to go to be back with my family in North Carolina. I go, give me all the stuff on your family in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we'll call your mom or your brothers or sisters and go, Hey, Adam called and he wants to come home. They go, yeah, we know uh, we can't afford to bring him home because we're poor. And um, I said, but I'm willing to pay for that bus ticket, a one-way bus ticket, but I got to make sure that he, that y'all want him right there. Right. And if they, if that, if we get a green light on that, I'm buying the guy bus ticket and reconnect him to family. family and, and which that's is a, the best community. That's it the, be. it that, be. that's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, that thing happens. Uh, and we probably do that three or four times a year. Just so to, you have to be chronically home cro- for this year. Yeah. And then, um, in Austin and every major city, the city, there's a homeless management information system. It's required by HUD for anybody that wants HUD funding. And then 
that HMIS system or tens of thousands of records here in Austin. Let, let me guess. Is this a, uh, a quagmire database that is messed up and doesn't work right? <laughs> well, there's uh, there's a uh, uh, yeah. Well, every database is that way. So uh, we're, we're, we're able to mine information out of that. That's good. And then there's right. some things that, uh, um, you know, are a struggle, but we're able to uh, look at how many touch points Adam had into the homeless. Into the system. Into okay. the system. Got it. And so that'll tell us, one, are you chronically homeless? Have you been here in Austin for a year? That kind of a thing. And then through that deal, they do a there's a coordinated assessment model that attempts to rank people based upon their vulnerability. Is that the city or is that you who does this? No, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, done through a partner agency of ours called ECHO. Yes, of course. Yeah. They they uh, don't they manage the arch? No, no they that's don't. First steps. Front steps. Front steps. Yeah, yeah. front steps manages the arch, uh, but Echo uh, is kind of a quasi governmental five hundred one c three that manages the HMIS system and also manages the flow of money that comes in from the federal government to be parsed out to those agencies that participate. Right. We're not one of those, but we do participate. In the HMIS, which uh, is important, for it's important. Answer. It's 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 good. It's good information and good data. The uh, coordinated assessment is uh, a you know it it has its own issues sure. uh, and it's not perfect, but it does uh, give us you know a glimpse into a person's life. And then um, they have to you know the stereotype of what we have out there in the community is. Not probably not dissimilar. What am I going into? Is it going to be a train wreck, trash everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, drug needles, you know, all over the place? Uh, and a lot of our friends on the streets think of it as a bum camp or a tramp camp. So, and, so not that. Yeah. And so they have to come out too. So their stereotype is transformed and they come out uh, one of two tours a month for prospective neighbors. And if they say, yes, we'd love to live here, then they fill out a pretty extensive application with us they get on the list and uh now they have to have some form of income correct sustainable income yeah yeah so prop- that seems like it's uh, that's almost a catch-22 well um there's ways to uh overcome that so by definition if you're chronically homeless and you have a disability uh particularly a behavioral health or a physical disability not not addiction disability you're probably eligible to receive uh, SSDI, SSI, or SSDI, mm-hmm. and, um, and how much is that on that? Is that seven fifty, seven seventy a month? Oh, really? oh yeah. okay, wow, yeah, wow. yeah. And, and so, so you help people with that if they're eligible. Yeah, multiple organizations help people uh, with that, <clears throat> and um, uh, so that would be one way. But if you come with zero income, um, but you have the ability. Uh, to get SSI or SSDI, as we determine, it's mm-hmm. not that hard to figure out whether you you could be eligible and about how long that would take. Um, we can cobble together enough resources for to sustain you for a period of time until that income comes in. Or uh, we have this very powerful program called Community Works, which is an entrepreneurial micro enterprise program uh, to put people. Uh, into gainful employment. And the foundation of that is built on the premise that when I moved to Austin, Texas in 1976, 43 years ago, there were no panhandlers on our street corners. There were men and women selling flowers, bottles of water, newspapers, cow skulls, 
cow skins and your audience favorite velvet Elvis art. <laughs> Do we even have sidewalks back then? Yeah. yeah. And and so, but today we've outlawed all that through occupational licensing. You're required. So right. Yeah. yeah. And you, you go to any third world country and you're assaulted by a gauntlet of entrepreneurs. You come to the United States of America and you are assaulted by a gauntlet of beggars because it, it is our first amendment free speech right to hold that sign. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do is flip that. We're trying to let people know that the men and women that are panhandling that are, are not making that much money mm-hmm. um, uh, are actually uh, entrepreneurs. They're entrepreneurs <laughs> and they got a Puritan work ethic. Think about what you see every day at that same street corner, that same man or woman doing the same thing every day. That takes some dedication. So what we try to, and they would rather sell bottles of water and flowers. So we've created a number of micro enterprises mm-hmm. on our um, uh, campus uh, through artwork, blacksmithing, pottery, jewelry making. You got the uh, card detailing. and The, the card, uh, yeah, that whole deal and the state inspections and oil changes and the culinary deal and um, and and a, a, a silk screening business and all that. So uh, so and people we, get back on their feet and they and you help them. That's right. Earn a, what we call a dignified income, which uh, we believe is about $1,200 a month uh, to be able to live in our community and uh, uh, pay rent, have food. And food is, uh, you purchase that on, on uh, in the village or? Everybody, uh, well, we have a full-blown organic farming operation and all the food that is produced from this operation is free to the people that live in the community, including mm-hmm. myself. Um, but that could potentially supplement your diet by 10 or 15%. So it's, it. uh, it's significantly good, but it's not all in. You have to buy your own food. So you, right. if you're eligible for food stamps, you got to go get on the food stamp mm-hmm. deal, but hell you can get on a, uh, one of our weekly trips to, uh, you know, one of the food bank, uh, uh, food pantry places and mm-hmm. go get free food or you can go to the H-E-B or Walmart or it's interesting as I'm hearing this uh, some people would say yeah that's tough love and I'm like no that's actually really love yeah to really get people going again yeah 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 so I mean you know the number one rule in our village number one above all other rules is you must pay rent yeah everybody pays rent there's no free ride mm-hmm. here and in, in, and in the four years or nearly four years we've been in operation, I think we have written off less than $5,000 worth of uncollected rent. That's nothing. Yeah, That's it's nothing, nothing. It's, yeah. of an operation of our yeah. uh, uh, magnitude. So, uh, and, and I wanted to uh, just commend you on how well run this place is and having, you know, being a Form 990 junkie for, uh, for nonprofits. I mean, your balance sheet is, is unbelievably healthy. Uh, it's so clear what you're doing, where the money is going, and you run it on relatively little money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, although it, I'm sure it's, yeah. it's six, seven, eight million dollars. Yeah, 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 nothing, yeah. But yeah, you've got 230 people who are, you know, because of course rent is, you know, eight, nine hundred thousand a year. You have a lot more to pay for. Yeah, but man, I mean, it's uh, it's. Well, Adam, it's we we believe. Yeah, we believe, uh, and and this is where people have, you know, and we hope that the the dialogue will increase a level of understanding for people because when we lift this population out of the streets, they are going to have to be subsidized for the rest of their lives. And I want to remind people in Austin, it's about six one hundredths of 1%. 
And so on a national level, it's less than one half of 1% of the population. These are the most vulnerable, uh, broken, Mm. uh, sick people in our community. And uh, I, I would say that everybody except the most callous human would say, I'm, I'm good with helping people that need help. And but what we want to do, though, is make sure that when we're subsidizing them, we're subsidizing them to be purposeful, mm-hmm. which is a different deal. So we're good with you getting the 750 or 770 a month from SSI, but uh, people still want to be purposeful. They want to do something. They want to create art or blacksmithing or do some things. They just can't do that eight hour a day or if their mental health spins out of control or their addiction spins out of control, they're, they're not going to show up at their eight to five right, job. Right. So uh, we don't believe in the model of fixing and repairing humans. I've found uh, that you can't fix and repair humans. Uh, <laughs> I think about my 35 year uh, marriage to my best friend and lover and mother of four, five kids and and I think about our fights, and they're the same damn fight that we've been doing for 35 years. It never changes. There's no new something that crops up in our personality that irritates us. Mm-hmm. It's always the same thing. Why can't you be on time? You know, <laughs> you were here three minutes early. <laughs> yeah, 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 or whatever. And that's exactly right. I got that uh, German in me, and it's uh, and everybody knows I start I start meetings on time. And, what, yeah. what are the what is the so rent is between three I think and around five hundred dollars two twenty five a oh, month for a canvas sided cottage all bills paid up to about uh, five hundred dollars a month for a fully self contained uh, three hundred and thirty forty square foot uh, RV. Are there people? Let me let me let me rephrase. What is the typical length of stay? Or do you have people there who are there for years and years and years? Do they move on and maybe we'll call it graduate? No, uh, there's no uh, there's no graduation. Mm-hmm. That's another fallacy uh, uh, in the system. And I'll tell you that in my 21 years of working deeply in this uh, work, uh, I can claim one person out of hundreds uh, that we've impacted uh, that. Uh, Got off of a 25-year heroin addiction, living on the street, uh, came out, uh, went to work, end up getting married. You know, that's one. That's it. This is, you know, and thank you for, for saying that because, there, and it goes back to what you said, we don't believe in fixing humans. And it's just such a small percentage of the entire population of the country that why wouldn't we just help these people and be good neighbors? And it'll make everyone feel better. Yeah, no. Camping and bullcrap that irritate people. I get it. I totally understand why they're irritated. Well, and we want people to live there permanently. We we believe that home is a place of permanence. Nice, um, nice. you know, I'm going to I'm going to take off on Tuesday and fly to Amsterdam, like I said. But 10 days later, I'm going to can't wait to get back home into yeah. my village and see my friends uh, and be back home. So we believe that home is a place of permanence. So we don't want people to we think part of the American culture that has hurt us a lot is how much we transition and we don't root ourselves in community. We even in our best families, we're breaking up our families because our children that we raised here in Austin, Texas, maybe living in Seattle or, Mm -hmm. you know, New York or wherever. And we don't get to see them and be around them. And that's, that's not a great thing. 
What? How about the the bad stories? I mean, the people where it just doesn't work out. Is that? Is yeah, there, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to call the herd, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, periodically. And uh, but we give a lot of grace and mercy. Rope. I, I would say that we have lifted somewhere around two hundred and forty-five to two hundred and fifty people up off the streets in the past uh, uh, four years, and um, and about. 50 to 60 of those haven't haven't made it but some go out and some come back in Mm -hmm. uh so um it's you know it's 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 laying the groundwork for what it really means to live in community civilly obedient you know in community but we don't have any there's no murders there's no rapes there's no you know there's none of that stuff it's just what we call um that stupid human uh, behavior mm-hmm. and 99.9% uh, fueled by drugs and alcohol. So now you have 230 people. You have phase two coming, which will bring you up to, and I've, I've seen, it. I mean, this is active building. This is not just, we're planning something. Yeah, I mean, no. this, this is happening. Yeah. Um, and you'll have a total of around 500, you said? Five to 600, somewhere in there, 550 maybe. And what do you, when do you expect that to be completed? Well, it's we'll phased, be, I'm sure. You we'll go. be moving people in starting in, um, in uh, January mm-hmm. of 2020. And we, our goal is to try to onboard about 10 people a month. And so that 300 will take us three years or so to, so when you look at scale, you know, Austin, I guess they say they have, you know, 5,000 chronically homeless, at, you know, the, the number fluctuates, maybe you have a better idea. You're, you could, you'd be surfacing up to 10% on this minuscule budget. I mean, it's really two, uh, two months of your budget. They waste on five town halls. It's driving me nuts, Alan. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the actual numbers for the chronically homeless, we believe are more around 1200 people. Okay. Not five thousand. So, so, what are the rest? Are they just uh, what they call through? transitionally homeless? Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's when they do these point in time counts, which are a struggle. There's a, there's a sheltered homeless and an unsheltered mm-hmm. homeless, and that unsheltered the total number last year in January of this year was about twenty two, twenty three hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there's people you can't count because they're not there to be counted. Um, but anecdotally, we believe there's. God, call it 2,000 people. It's not an unmitigatable deal. It is not 50,000 the way that uh, Los Angeles is, or 12 or 15,000 the way that San Francisco is, or 12,000 in Seattle. Washington, but does that mean? But they sh- that shouldn't mean that they can't start a program like this themselves. No, they they can, but uh, you know, there's the 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 great impediment, uh, which is. uh, NIMBY, not my backyard. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah. is, uh, it is the unwillingness. You know, it's 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 really interesting because uh, you know there's all this noise about you know Trump building the wall, mm-hmm. you know down on the on the border, but in essence we build metaphorical walls around our neighborhoods uh, every day in every community uh, in every city in the United States of America by mm-hmm. saying no. Not in my backyard. Not in not my here. backyard. Not yeah. here. Yeah. And um, if I had a nickel uh, for every time somebody patted me on the bank back during this process and said something like, hey, I'm liberal. I really believe in what you're doing. But, you know, here in my backyard, it's not the right place. And so we got to we got to culturally change yeah. uh, uh, that culture. 
or are completely rejected. I don't know how, you know, uh, we get to that point where we well, can. Learning is people need to understand. You know, again, it took me so long just to figure out what you were doing. And then when I, when you finally took me around, I was saying, oh my gosh, I should have done this five years ago. I mean, I th think of how much more I could have told people about this. The obvious question for people listening is why uh, aren't you working with the city? Why isn't, why aren't, why isn't the city seeing this saying, Hey, these guys could potentially, uh, um, lift 30, 40% of our chronically unhoused population into, into a community at a relatively cheap price. Why isn't this happening? Um, you know, politics are, are interesting. Mm -hmm. And so it's sometimes it's hard to decipher, you know, why politically uh, something is, is happening. Um, and I think there is a, a fundamentally good intent in the belief that policy itself can move some big needles. And in some areas, maybe it can, maybe it can't. Um, and so that question pretty much remains a mystery, but I got to tell you in Austin, Texas, we've just hired a homeless strategy officer mm -hmm. uh, that just started last week on September 9th. Uh, who, what, do you, Lori Pampillo Harris. Did she uh, come from West Coast? Orlando. Oh, Orlando. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so she came out of Orlando. Uh, we have met her. I'm excited about her uh, being here. And mm -hmm. one of her fundamental deals is uh, public-private, uh, you know, partnerships mm -hmm. that you cannot do this with the government alone, that you have to have the marketplace involved in that deal. And so I think there's a struggle by government uh, in general, uh, to embrace innovation. And the only way that in innovation can happen is in the marketplace. It's very difficult for innovation to happen inside a government. Um, and so I'm hopeful that she uh, will be able to come in and, and drive uh, a different philosophical bus that invites uh, innovation from the marketplace to join in uh, uh, with them. Whenever I hear private-public partnership, I'm always very skeptical especially having uh, grown up in the Netherlands, done some business there. You know, you get a more socialist government. You really don't want a private-public partnership because someone bigger than you runs off of the money and the project, you know, rarely works out. As well, private. when I say public-private, what I'm really meaning is, is a partnership that, in general. Well, I think, you know, the public has, uh, I mean, I think the public has a profound role in this issue. Uh but we believe that government should only play a subsidiary role to you and I in mitigating these profound human uh, issues that mm -hmm. are out there like homelessness. So why do you believe that? It's a philosophical question. And I'm just throwing it out. I think it's a spiritual uh, question. Nice. I think it's, uh, I think it's both biblical and I think it's anthropological. So if you and I go back a couple of thousand years, we live in the village, Adam and Alan take off because we're going to go do a little hunting and gathering. And you and I get on point on a game that if we can secure is going to be a giant bonus for the village that we live in. Both of us are married, so to speak, and we have children back home and I'm cruising, I'm on point, you know, and we're strategizing and suddenly I make a wrong step. I go off of a cliff and I die. Now what happens? Well, Adam's got to come back and bring the bad news to the village, but the village is also going to surround my yeah. spouse and my family and mm -hmm. care for my family. And so that is the only way that we can get out of this because, because you and I 
desire to be fully and wholly loved and fully and wholly known, I can promise you that Uncle Sam is not coming into your bedroom tonight to tuck you into bed right on, and tell you how awesome you are. Um, and so we got to engage the community in that deal. And then we leverage government to do some of the things because there is goodness that flows out of the government. They build awesome roads. We have police. We have EMS. We have fire departments. Uh, we have. If I'm, we seem to have a culture of middlemen. Yeah. If someone's bothering me, I call the cops. Yeah. If something else is going on, I, you know, if it's something with my kid, I call the. We have a the principal. You know, I call. It's middlemen. It's rarely someone going up to someone else saying, "Hey, let's work through this problem." Yeah. Yeah. And so, as an example, in our village. Uh, we were averaging 28 EMS calls every month. Mm. Okay. In June, the Austin Travis County uh, EMS planted a full-time four day a week uh, paramedic in our village and immediately dropped those calls by 50%. Why? Uh, because most of the calls in, in, in the EMS world. And if, if I don't get this, 100% right EMS people just understand there's priority ones which I believe are lights on yeah. everything mm-hmm. lights on sirens on right priority twos you're going to get transported but it's not uh, a critical emergency and then you have priority threes fours and fives where the ambulance shows up there's some treatment done but nobody is transported right for a variety of reasons okay and so about, I could be wrong here, 80% of the EMS calls never ended in transport. And so now the uh, paramedic can go, and instead of launching the fire truck and the EMS truck and all, all this, the resources, all the resources yeah, yeah. that cost all the money, uh, she's able to uh, stop all that. Uh, I, I know, Get the middleman out. Yes. Well, I, I know many uh, people who are uh, in service, like EMS, and a buddy of mine uh, firefighter EMS in uh, Boulder, and he says 80% of the calls, he says, is really people who are lonely. Yeah. And you get there and they say, could you like grab that pack of cigarettes? And I can't, it's hard for me to move. You know, could you bring it over here? And it's not about the smoking. It's about someone coming in and just being there. Now, of course, he's like, holy crap, you know, I got other things to do. Yeah. And they can't refuse, so they have to go. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like a large percentage is really just. Yeah, I just want someone to show up and help me for two seconds with something. Well, in the homeless population, there is a complete cultural uh, dependency on 911, both uh, for criminal. Mm -hmm. uh, And really, it's mostly dispute resolution. Sure. So if you and I get get in a fight on the street, we (laughs) call 911. 911, I'm calling the cops. You you mentioned really spiritual. And um, as I've been talking to people about mobile loaves and fishes, of course, People immediately go, oh well, you know that must be the uh, you know the Jesus with his uh, with his his five pieces of bread and two glasses of wine and the twelve baskets or seven depending on which story you read. Um, and I think that there is a stigma around religion and helping people, as crazy as that sounds, because of course the church used to do everything. It's where we got our education, where we got our, you know, our food, if we didn't have any, where we got our medical care. How do you deal with that? And and how real is it? Well, I think the uh, stigma is real. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it got asked of me in a tour uh, 
about a week or two ago when we went into one of our little chapels. Which are beautiful. You showed yeah. them as beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And this woman walks in and goes, you know, I love everything you have, but I have a problem right here, you know. Wow. And so um, she claimed to be a non-believer, whatever the word believer or non-believer means. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. And um, and I looked at her and I said, we, we, we live in a plural country. Would you agree? She goes, what do you mean? I go, well, we're not secular. We're founded, you know, as a plural country where we welcome everybody of every. And all religious. All religious, mm-hmm. all everything. She goes, oh, yes, I, I believe that. And so I said to her, I said, at the banquet table of inclusion that we all desire, who or whom do we exclude to obtain that inclusive role? And, and you know what happened? Her head just cocked to the side. I go, and I, and I looked at, you know, Amber, my, our president, and I said, see the head cock? Brain freeze. It's a brain freeze. Mm-hmm. And she looks at me. I said, let me repeat that one more time. I says, at the banquet table of inclusion that we all want, who or whom do we exclude to get to your inclusive? She didn't have an answer. I'm no, sure. you don't have an answer. Not, no. And so what we're trying to do is say, stop that crap. Mm-hmm. And let everybody come. Now, look, if I come, if you come into my deal as a Muslim or a Jew or a Zoroastrian or a Hindu, and I'm sitting there going, hey, if you don't transform your life, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> then I think you have a right to be pissed at me yeah, and go, I don't, I don't want to be around you, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not what we do at this village. I'm, I'm inspired by my love of Christ uh, and to serve. But I'm going to let God work out all the bullshit that's down here on, on earth. I don't have to work that out. So I, I can love you no matter who you are. You can be an atheist or whatever. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what his agenda is. And so I'm just going to love built on uh, my fundamental, uh, mm-hmm. you know, spiritual formation through my Christian faith. Look, I struggle with Christians. Sure. They've screwed the pooch on a number of things. Sure, so sure. Uh, let's. Let's call that what it is too. So it's a it is something about it's societal. I mean, and maybe that is also a larger. And you hear this a lot, certainly in conservative um, discussions, that because we're losing the sense of religion, sense of faith, that that is actually contributing to the walls around the houses, uh, you know, the fences, the not in my backyard, because people are missing something spiritually. Yeah. No, I um, I, I completely uh, see that. Um, it's, it's not the only, only causal factor no. uh, to that deal, but it's, a it's a component. And, and look, I think from a, um, uh, historical basis, these kind of things ebb and flow. Sure. And that, uh, what we may be seeing is just, a you know, a, a downward, a deal, but I also see, uh, I mean, if you, if you look I mean, we have a relationship with Temple Beth Shalom and one of my greatest friends, Rabbi Alan Freeman, uh, and how we all collaborate. And he comes out and does blessings. And uh, and uh, you got a Hindu temple, right? We up have the a road. Hindu it's temple. The Hindus thing. come out. Yeah. We hang out. We rent each other's property for parking. Mm-hmm. It's uh, or don't rent it, but you know, allow each other to use it. Um, yeah, come on out. If you're if your spirituality or lack of spirituality calls you to serve the homeless, you're yeah. welcome on our property. Period. So now 
we have, you have a successful model. It's clearly working. How does this expand? How does it uh, propagate throughout the rest of the country? I mean, what are the plans? What is your thinking? What is the strategy? Well, uh, we have a replication uh, uh, model uh, that we've uh, developed and have been deploying and building on for a couple of years that begins with a, uh, a three-day symposium that we do every quarter. Mm-hmm. And so now I believe 28 states uh, have come. Uh, well, if, if you if you search for mobile loaves and fishes, there's a lot of mobile loaves and fish, but more truck, uh, food truck, et cetera. Yeah, food truck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's several food truck operations here in Austin. And, uh, and then we expanded nationally and then cut them loose to go do their They're own their thing, thing a, right. cu- a few years ago because mm-hmm. we just wanted to focus on, on uh, the village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people come to that symposium, and then uh, that could lead to a um, – uh, we do a two-day leadership deal because people will come, and uh, they'll see all the things. They'll be overwhelmed, and then they'll meet me. They'll meet Amber, and they go, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not an Alan Graham or an Amber Fogarty. And, I go, and we go, well, thank God. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, why don't you come back and let us show you how, with your particular personality, you can accomplish everything that we've accomplished mm-hmm. here. Um, and then there's a um, – a, uh, a, a what we call the vision builders, which is a, a six month cohort uh, of people that are invited in mm-hmm. that uh, can come and uh, every two months fly into Austin for about a week, and you know we move them through uh, some pretty challenging uh, stuff. Has anyone gone on to set up a village? Or yeah, well, the playing? first one uh, is uh, done by a former uh, staff member of ours mm-hmm. in. Um, in uh, Springfield, Missouri, called Eden Village. Mm-hmm. It's very small. It's a tenth the size of ours. What's uh, the start? Yeah, no, it's a 31-unit deal. And what happens is a lot of people come and see our deal, and uh, they're just overwhelmed, and they're not sure that they – Well, you've been doing it for 20 years, so it <clears> takes a while to build it up. Yeah, and then there's several working um, all over the country. Uh, and so I think over the next five years, you'll really start seeing uh, some tremendous movement. And, you know, shows like this help us get that movement uh, out there. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, when you create something that's new and different, you know, honestly, Adam, it takes 20 years probably for it to. Well, it's re- like building a company, you know, it, yeah. takes, it takes a while to get it going and keep it, keeping it going, et cetera. How can people help? Uh, they're, they're listening to this. And obviously, there's always a need for money. I understand. What can people do? Well, I think uh, if you're interested in this model, uh, you need to get on a $300 round trip uh, airplane from anywhere in the United States of America and come to Austin and come check, take a look. Come yeah. take a look at uh, at what this deal is. You can go on our website at MLF.org and check out our symposiums. It's already sold out for November, but there'll be one, I think, in February and, and beyond. Um, what is your big – so do you have um, – you have donors, obviously, that um, you have um, you rent out uh, space for people to have meetings, et cetera. I mean, what are, what are the other revenue streams that are meaningful? Well, we have a uh, uh, we have an outdoor Alamo draft house movie theater and a Which five. Great. Yeah. Five hundred seat amphitheater that can be rented. But mm-hmm. we do free movies every Friday night. We have a 19-unit bed and breakfast with teepees, yurts, microhomes. It looks really cool. Yeah, it and, does. And yeah. eclectic, uh, uh, you know, uh, travel trailers and stuff like that. Uh, that's cool. Um, and so, 
we got an art. I mean, we, you know, our deal is to get as many people on that property every single week as we possibly can. So we, we end up with about three to 500 volunteers every week. What kind, of, what kind of volunteers are needed? What kind of work is needed? Just Well, they can come volunteer in the car care business. They can volunteer in the art house, the blacksmithing shop, mm-hmm. the pottery operation. They can um, uh, get involved in our color, culinary deal. We've got a full-blown commercial kitchen, uh, two food trailer trucks. Uh, yeah, and I, and I just want people to know, this is, I mean, it's professional. This is, I mean, the build, this is not a fly-by-night thing. I mean, you go in there, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's like a holiday village. It's that beautiful and pristine. And you can tell they just love everywhere. Everyone's taking care of their own little gardens. And it's it's, it's really, really touching. Well, we have a full-blown organic farming operation. Yep. And when you look at our farm, I mean, I, I've never seen an urban farming operation that looks like ours. Yeah. It, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, yeah. a, it's a landscaping marvel. Uh, and it produces food mm-hmm. and uh, you have bees as well. Did you? Yeah, we have honeybees, goats, uh, two hundred chickens producing about a hundred dozen uh, free range organic chicken eggs mm-hmm. every week. It's you know so there's just a ton of stuff to do, but more importantly, just come and hang out. Yeah, meet some of our friends, move into relationship with them. But look, the next time that you're driving through your city and you see that man or woman standing on the street corner, roll your window down and say hi. I know of no known incident ever where one of them jumped in your car and sliced your throat. <laughs> They're just there yeah. and say hi to them. And when you get comfortable with who they are and you get on a first name basis, pull your car over and invite them into the Jack in the box, you know, or the McDonald's or the Chick-fil-A that's right there near that corner and, and buy them a meal and just ask them people. And you're the right person to ask. I think, People often feel, okay, I'm going to give five bucks or one dollar, whatever they give, and windows back up and I'm done. It doesn't seem like that's very productive in the long run. Well, look, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of connecting right. with people. And what are the conduits that can connect us at that given moment? So A transaction. Uh, well, yeah. well, or it just could be a hello or yeah. God bless. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, Adam, what's going on? How you doing today? Right. right. You know? If you want to give the five bucks, give the five bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't doesn't hurt anything. Are they going to go buy cigarettes and alcohol and crack Probably. cocaine? Yeah, yeah maybe. That's what you I know? would have done with it. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. Uh, you know, they're not partying on your money. Right. They're no, medicating yeah. on your money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, you and I get to go to the pharmacy to get our drugs. You know, it's interesting. When I lived downtown, this is one guy. And I always gave him money, and um, and he knew my name. I knew his name, and he would uh, he would always be there. And at a certain point, I said, you know, I gave you money. You wanted socks. You didn't go buy the socks. I'm I'm disappointed. So I'm just not going to give you money for a while because it, it, you disappointed me. And he said, that's okay. You're still my friend. And I, that's when I knew it, was, it wasn't about the money. Yeah. He just wanted me to say hi. How you doing? Kevin is a you know. Uh, a, a homeless street musician. You know, I've recorded stuff with him, and that's that's really all they wanted. Well, look here. Uh, when I give, I give unconditionally, and uh, when I pull up to a street corner, I've got you know, I rarely care cash anymore because you know I work the digital thing. Mm. But I also have bus passes in my deal. But when I do have cash, it's dangerous because it's going to fly out of my wallet. Mm. Um, 
And a guy will come up to my truck. I drive a truck that's got all the logos on it. We call it the rolling billboard. <laughs> and uh, and then they mostly know who I am. Or they'll go, are you that guy or whatever? I go, yeah, my name's Alan Graham. What's your name? And they go, my name's Adam. And and um, I go, here's five bucks. And he goes, look, look I'm, I, I won't buy any uh, cigarettes or booze or, or dope or something with it. And I go, look, brother, this is a free will gift for you to use any way that you want to use it. Right. Period. Go use it however you want. Uh, I'm incredibly pleased that uh, something I worked on 15 years ago has resulted in the uh, in your podcast. I just love how you know this this seemingly kind of thing has has enabled uh, the voices that you uh, put on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's called the Gospel Carne. <laughs> yeah, and uh, real Texas, though, right there. Yeah, yeah. So it's the Gospel with meat. It's a, a gritty Tex-Mex uh, theology that uh, you know I developed with a moral theologian friend of mine, PhD guy, back in 2006 in Mexico City, in a very poor uh, area, and it was this frustration that. You know, most of us go to church on Sunday and we get filled and and then we don't do anything all week. We come back and sit in our air-conditioned pew the next week and then step and repeat, step and repeat, right. step and repeat. Where is the meat on what it is that's being proclaimed uh, to us? And so what we wanted to do uh, through the Gospel Kakarne uh, podcast is to uh, – demonstrate the value of community the value of connecting with human people um and through some a lot of tragic events and so when you listen and so one podcast a month is always we do two a month and one is always from a neighbor Mm -hmm. and we try to get them to fillet themselves open and and the most recent one with jr i mean it's what a story that man no phenomenal oh wow Phenomenal story. That his his mother was beating him, and he learned later. He said, "Oh, I understand now. My mom was really beating on her husband, his dad, who had you know, yeah, abused and left, etc." Yeah, and he had really come so full circle, so beautifully, and with realization of where he's coming from. And it's it, it's it is those podcasts are outstanding and you do a fantastic well I, uh, really uh, I'm, I'm learning but you know it's really all about listening, and listening uh, and talking, and, yeah. yeah and sure. um and and then the other one every month it will be and i'm gonna have you on so uh, uh, get ready for that yeah of course of course um it's somebody that's never been homeless but diving into who you are as a human person and diving into your family background and uh, learning about your mom and dad and brothers and sisters and the struggles that you may have encountered over the course of uh, your life. And so that it develops, uh, you know, and I don't want to say equality, but it just the parity between who we are as human beings is. Oh yeah. We're we're quite similar for the most part. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, and when we, but our trajectories might have taken us along different uh, paths. So r- really, I, w- I want people to dive into the hearts of the JRs of the world mm-hmm. to understand um, uh, where these brothers and sisters are coming from. Because, you know, everybody thinks that people make a choice to live in uh, squalor, squalor, man. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I try to tell people over and over again that I'm going to promise you, man, in the history 
of man forever. Never, ever, 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 ever did a little 12-year-old boy or girl lay in bed at night in that twilight zone between being awake and being asleep, looking out the window at the starry, starry skies, dreaming about their future, ever, ever, ever fantasized about being a homeless, prostituting, heroin junkie, crack addict. Never. And the embers of the dreams and the fantasies that were in our 12-year-old self. For me, I wanted to be a rock star. I played guitar, had a band. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a football player. I played football and at 12 was decent, realized at 16, not so. Or a jet fighter pilot flying a $500 million uh, airplane. None of those things have happened to me. But the embers of dreaming that were fueled by people around me, putting the fuel, you know, so that those embers would ignite were there. Yeah. That allowed me to be in the place that I am right now. And our goal is to grab these men and women who still have these uh, little embers, glowing embers inside their hearts of dreams and pour the fuel on there that allow them to ignite it. That's what we that's what they never had that ever it was squashed they were told what a pos they were and how worthless they were all their lives and if all of a sudden they're starting to be told does this happen almost uh, immediately when you do that Uh, it differs uh, i would it it, it's it's different i'm going to tell you that our greatest struggle in this model is uh, the cultural transformation of where people come from to where we are Mm -hmm. today. And Mm -hmm. it it takes a long uh, period of time because the average, our average age in our community is 55 and the average time on the streets was 10 years. Oh man. I've got people that lived on the streets for 40 plus years. Wow. And, um, and so you don't, you don't bring them in and then, dust them off with this cultural <laughs> right. love and they're right. all um it takes a long time of rebuilding trust and there's just so much rebuilding trust in themselves and and then connecting them to people that they can trust it's, it's just there's so much to this which is why it has to be relational because if you just stick them in a house somewhere it doesn't work doesn't work uh, I commit to you that I will continue to spread this message. This is also of all the things you do. There's one thing you don't do. You don't ask for money. I've but, never, never heard you ask for anything. You've never asked me for anything. Yeah. And so our philosophy is built on a, a ratio that we developed at mobile O's and fishes called the HP ratio where H is the numerator and P is the denominator. H is for heart. P is for pocket. And then we, Uh, parenthetically put that to the exponential power of god Mm -hmm. g equals unstoppable momentum so adam if i um if i if if you get drawn into our vision mission values and goals of what it is that we're doing if i just speak into your heart and that becomes something that is powerful for you and your family i don't have to worry about the money and what i found with heavily resourced uh, people is they don't want to be treated like an ATM machine. 
Correct. And they don't want my problem plastic card to be plugged into their machine and me expect money to come out of that deal. My expectation is they're going to sit down and go, I really love what you're doing and I want to understand how I can help. And then we lay out the opportunities that are available for people and and generous people are going to, if they have a great HP ratio, the money will be big. If the HP ratio is low, it'll be less, but we don't judge. I don't, I don't go, well, you could have done better than that. I, I never do that. And do you even have business or, or business development people who go out and seek uh, uh, financing? Well, we, we have a, a development uh, department that's sure. managing uh, all the moving parts, but mm-hmm. everything about what we do is all built on, on relationship. Mm-hmm. It's building relationship uh, uh, with people. Um, I have, I host dinners at my house, uh, mm-hmm. which is to build relationship. I want to get to know people. And if the relationship develops, that's, that's, that's great. Right. Sometimes the relationship doesn't develop. They go do something else, which is, which is great. So, um, and so we have people that do that. In fact, you know, our philosophy is that every, uh, employee at mobile O's and fishes, and frankly, every neighbor at mobile O's and fishes is on the development team. We, we have uh, neighbors that are paid and to give tours to people. Right. That's part of their, of their they can, existence. Th- they can earn a dignified income mm-hmm. by touring people for an hour, earn 15 or 20 bucks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the number is, but uh, um, we consider everybody in the role of developing relationships and trying to build out this uh, HP to the power of G uh, ratio. So that's, I like that. that. That should be on a hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be a T-shirt. Yeah, um, and well, so well, I'll do it for you. I'll tell people they need to go to mlf.org and read about what's going on. Listen to one or two episodes of the podcast. And people who are not in state and don't have a minute to come yet, I'd love for them to support you financially. I agree with you until you've seen it. I mean, look, I get goosebumps when I just talk about it. Yeah, and I have been on this topic for years, and I can't believe. Well, I can't. Luckily, our paths crossed. Yeah. I, I can believe that, actually. That was meant to be. Yeah. And, uh, and I really hope that uh, that we can do a lot more in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do it. I'd so. bring in some rich fuckers. That's what I'm going to Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Alan Graham is the co-founder, uh, founder, chief executive officer of Mobile O's and Fishes and Community First Village. Thank you so much, Alan. I really appreciate your time once again. Been a great morning. Thanks, Adam. I'll light the fire. Place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Staring at the fire for hours and hours while I listen to you play your love songs all night long. Shine.
There's a very, very, very fine house With two cats in the yard Life used to be so hard Now everything is easy cause of you Today 